1: In the Old Testament, shadows and types of the gospel, they abound. But when you get to the very purest of the gospel, when you want to see what it really looks like, you have to go to Romans, which is what we'll do next, here on Abounding Grace. Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Hi there, and welcome to our program. As we begin today's broadcast, we do so in the Book of Romans. It is a marvelous book that lays out for us in no uncertain terms just exactly what the gospel is, who it is directed to, to whose glory, and why. And all of that will be discovered as we continue our exploration of God's Word by beginning our view of Romans. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. The very purest gospel. Paul's letter to the Romans,
2: without a doubt, is the magnum opus, the greatest work of the apostolic writings. Martin Luther described it as the very purest gospel. Calvin one time said about Romans that when anyone understands this epistle, he has a key to the understanding of the whole of Scripture. Now, I'm not going to attempt to add any more accolades than this. Compared to them, I'm really just a beginner in the school of Christ, and I don't want to dirty it with my poor attempts. But without exaggeration, Romans is worthy of our constant meditation and our painstaking study. Righteousness is the dominating theme of Romans, righteousness. It is the most pressing need for us as sinners because not only is hell gaping in front of us, unless we have a righteousness that will stand before the holy gaze of God, But as Paul teaches in Romans, without righteousness, we will create a hell on earth in our lives, our families, and in society. And the wondrous thing about Romans is that we see that God gives us both sides of this grace. He gives us a righteousness that will stand before him when we die and when we are faced with his holy presence. And he gives us righteousness in life as he gives us his Holy Spirit that affects a revolution within us. Such a gospel as Romans should make us fear God and adore him and to give ourselves to him in grateful obedience. But there is a problem. We will never feel like this before the gospel especially if we have attended church most of our life. We will never flee to the righteousness that is in Christ Jesus as it is offered here if we are deceived about our true condition. And that is why the book opens with three of the nastiest chapters anywhere in Scripture. Not nasty from God's perspective, but for us as sinners... What is the dirtiest word in the English language? It is sin. We don't want to hear it. Now, we may admit, okay, yeah, I've done a couple of bad things. I I remember that one time 20 years ago when I told a lie. We may even be willing to admit, yes, I've got some pretty significant character flaws But for you to be told today, for me to be told today, as God just told us in his word that I have offended a holy God and not just once and not twice, but every thought, every desire, every decision of my life, unless I am covered in a different righteousness than my own, everything about me is displeasing to him. Who wants to be told that our lives, our souls, ourselves are in the damning grip of a corruption that will wind us up in hell forever? There is no one on earth that can take that bitter message. Our culture certainly will not unless God opens its heart by the power of his word. You know, especially for the Jew whom he also addresses along with the Gentiles, especially if like them we practice certain rituals and, and claim to have some special knowledge of God and such. When we hear that kind of message, rather than humility and repentance, we're going to say, not me, uh, maybe him, uh, uh, maybe my wife, but not me. But our response should be Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god every single one of us in this room is utterly condemned before the tribunal of god and would spend eternity in hell unless we flee to the righteousness that is in christ jesus alone it is pointless to pursue the righteousness in our own strength beloved it is utterly pointless It is wholly beyond us to please God. We just can't do it. We delight in pleasing ourselves. We are our own God. Paul has told us, and he was right 2,000 years ago, they worship and serve the creature self rather than the creator. We have revolted against God. So beginning in chapter 3 and going through chapter 5, we see this gift of righteousness that God has given to us. In fact, in 321 and 22, it is called the righteousness of God. It is a righteousness that uniquely belongs to Him. It is a righteousness that only He can give. And it is a righteousness that He does give to us through His Son, Who is the burnt offering for our sins? Who suffered on the cross to take our punishment, our penalty, our guilt, our curse that you and I in our sinfulness deserve? So when we read these chapters, we must cast ourselves upon the Son of God. Remember who he undertook to do this for. We weren't his friends, and we weren't clamoring for this. We were literally hell-bent on hell. And so are you this very day, unless you repent and believe the gospel. Or you can have religious jargon like the Jews did. You can be telling everyone out there in the world on Facebook, I'm really having a God experience today. But unless you are under the righteousness of Jesus Christ, you are under the wrath and curse of Almighty God. So you have to flee to this gospel. And when you hear that there is mercy at the foot of the cross, you ought to fly there. And our souls ought to tremble that the Lord Jesus Christ would die, not for his friends, not basically for good people who just needed some religious principles to make them feel better. But he died for his enemies. He died for the people who picked up the sword and thrust it into him. He died for the people who hammered the nails into his hands and feet, and who pressed the crown of thorns on his head. Beloved, he died for condemned criminals, for you and for me. Now the glory of these sufferings and of their power to give us righteousness are heightened when we honestly face our corruption in Adam. Much of chapter 5 is all about this. You see, Adam is a very important figure for you and me. Because when he fell away from his original integrity, he not only ruined himself, he ruined his race. We have sinned in him. God bound our destiny and the destiny of the entire human race up with Adam. So that the decision he made would affect all of his posterity descending from him by natural generation until the end of the world. And that means several things for us. Number one, it is our covetous eyes that looked out over the Garden of Eden, who looked out over paradise and said, not enough. I want to be God. It was my will and your will that said, I'm not satisfied with the word of God. I want to have the ultimate say myself. It was not just Adam's hand that reached out and took the fruit. It was my hand. It was your hand. Because he was our representative. God appointed that relationship. But in his mercy, what has our father done? He has given us another Adam, a second Adam. And in place of the filth and the death and the condemnation that we have in the first Adam, we now have righteousness and life that will stand before God's holy gaze in Jesus Christ. We must look to that Savior and no other. Now, the gospel of Romans is not finished when it talks about how I can be right with God, how I can, who is a sinner, how I can, who is alienated, an enemy of God, be made right with him. You know, when someone dies at a young age that you know, it should remind you that our lives are like a vapor and flying like wind through the air. It's not only the gospel, as wonderful as it is, to know that you and I, as we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess our sins, that we are forgiven. But that his righteousness is imputed to us. It is made our righteousness. It is credited to us. The obedience of the Savior so that when we die, we do not awaken to horror and terror in seeing the Holy God right before he says to hell, you have broken covenant with me. You have not the righteousness that my heaven requires, which is the righteousness that is as perfect as mine. And this is only in Jesus It is so wondrous that it should make us shout and sing for joy all our days. All of you who love the Lord, praise his name. But that's not where Paul stops. Because he says, not only do we have a legal righteousness, not only are we declared not guilty, but in Jesus and in communion with him, we are made righteous in life. We are given the Holy Spirit so that we may practice holiness in life. And when we have the Lord Jesus, the law's condemning accusations are silenced. Why? Because the law is satisfied. Why? Because God is satisfied and it is His law. It no longer awakens sin within us. Romans 7, and we'll talk about this later, Paul said... I thought I was a great guy. Then I remembered thou shalt not covet. And the whole facade of my pride came crumbling down because the law awakened within me. When I heard not, my sinful nature said, oh, I will. I will. But see in Jesus what happens. In Jesus, we're glad to yield ourselves as slaves to righteousness. Romans 6 Romans chapter 6 we are glad to do the will of God from our heart even more our trials as we will see in chapter 8 become a blessing to us and a joy to us because we know and feel ourselves to be secure and blessed in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that our Father rules over all things for our good, it says in 8.28. But that our Savior prays for us without ceasing. And that the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will one day raise our bodies from the dead. So that we will enjoy life with God forever. You see, this is a big gospel. It's not just, well, I'm saved. Let me move on with my life. God says, no, no. Yeah, I'm going to save you. And I'm going to make you right with me. But I'm going to make you right with everything else too. I'm going to save your family. I'm going to save your thought life. I'm going to save your hope. I will take it away from what is vain and earthly to what is heavenly and eternal. And this, you see, is the silver jubilee trumpet. That was blown in the Old Testament before the Feast of Jubilee. And every time we hear the gospel, that same trumpet is being blown to us. Look to Jesus. He has fullness of grace. It's not just, well, I've got my little saved card and I'll just pull it out whenever I need to. But for the most part, I'm going to live like I want to live. No, Jesus says, I save you completely. I give you not only righteousness for God before God, but I give you righteousness in life. And you know, there's no other gospel. And quite frankly, it's too wonderful for words. Beloved, it's too wonderful for words. Paul opens the practical section of Romans in chapter 12 by saying, Present your bodies a living sacrifice because such a gospel is worthy of any sacrifice. It's even worthy of death. You know, we'll never be ready to die unless our feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Have you ever made that connection? Why in the armor of God did Paul say, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace? Because when you hold this gospel in your heart. It does what? It makes you ready. And when God calls you to come, whether that call is to a duty, whether that call is to discipline your children, whether that call is to die, the gospel frees us from sin, not only from condemnation, but from the power and gives us a new life in Christ. And one day this gospel will free us from the presence of sin in God's presence forever what a gospel beloved now I don't want to be too hyperbolic but no one but God could have or Paul could have written this gospel don't get me wrong it is fully inspired it is from God but remember inspiration doesn't mean the author held a pen and God kind of moved it like a Ouija board finger God used the individual gifts and experiences of each of these men. You know, in Paul's life, like Jewish legalism held total sway over him. Like the Jews, he, he talks about this in chapter 10. He went about trying to establish his own righteousness. He was well trained under Gamaliel, who was one of the major rabbis in the Talmud. And he understood the Jewish system. More than anyone else did in those days. And do you know what it did to him? The same thing it is doing to the Jews today. It destroyed him. And all of his attempts to achieve righteousness, to silence the gnawing of consciousness. All of the attempts to achieve righteousness and life were all proven to be of no avail to him. The law had only awakened that resistance that God's law gives and announces. But the flesh says, no, back. I won't. I'm not going to submit. Think about it, young people. How many times would you not have ever thought of taking an extra cookie? Unless your mama said, don't take an extra cookie. And what happens? Oh, there's an extra cookie. And you start thinking about it. And your hand moves toward it. Uh, no, no, stop hand. No, I want it. That's what the law does. If we don't know Christ and the law's condemnation is not silence, it only awakens our opposition to it, which may be the reason, and I hate to say this, but as you know, I will anyway. It may be the reason... There is very little preaching on God's law and judgment in the church today. Because the church is filled with way too many unbelievers. I hope it's not most. But let me tell you. These theological principles are not just for books and theologians. These things are to be worked out in our lives. And if we resist it. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear anything about duty. Then we have to ask ourselves, is our heart beating to where God's heart is beating? Or is my heart still over here beating where I want it to beat? Paul had lived that way and he knew it better than anyone. But in himself, he couldn't give it up. He couldn't save himself. He was miserable. He even said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to show how zealous I am by killing and persecuting the followers of this new way. I'm going to go to war against Jesus. But we know what happened to him, don't we? He was regenerated on the Damascus road and his conversion immediately followed. And what happened? It changed everything for him. He suddenly understood the law which means what the whole of judaism did not understand the law at that time and it still doesn't today the law is good i'm not and i can't obey it in my own strength i can't make myself good by keeping the law The law demands my judgment in death. It is God's law and it is just and it is holy and good. And Paul understood that without an inner renewal of heart, without a will that is meek and submissive to God, I cannot obey him. I cannot do one thing to please him. God taught him that. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ taught him that in an instant. And he saw who the righteousness was. The righteousness was, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he saw him, he understood his law's purpose. It is to slay my pride. It is to slay my covetousness. It is to say, do this and you will live. It is to slay me and to make me understand my need for a redeemer. That God has given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, beloved, that Paul is telling us here, all of our righteousness is in him. We are free from tyranny of sin and death only in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that freed Paul. And I think Romans is largely Paul's own story. Remember what he said in chapter seven. 24 and 25. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, understand, Paul wanted his Jewish countrymen to share this with him, even though he was persecuted from town to town. We see in Acts that he always went to the synagogue first. And in Romans chapter 10, we're going to read and study one of the most interesting lines in all of Paul's writings where he says, I but wish that I myself were cursed from Christ so that my countrymen would come to know the Savior. It is their Messiah. It is their Savior. He has opened the Old Testament. He has opened the covenant. He has opened the glory of God to me, he says. And I want my countrymen to come to experience salvation and to understand it so much.